0: the last week in our series God is Still Good and what we've learned so far is that God is he's still good in the disaster and those things that just happen in our life those circumstances that come into our life that aren't exactly what we were wanting we've learned that God is still good in the midst of those difficult circumstances learned that God is still good in the midst of our doubts how each of one of us is going to struggle with doubt and struggle with you know what is God trying to do in our life and we learn that God is still good in those doubts. We also learn that God is still good in the delays. There are many times when we've prayed for something, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying, and, we're praying and it just seems like God is delaying the answer. Okay, It just seems like God is delaying and answering that prayer. We learn that God is still good then. Last week we talked about, and this one was difficult, that God is still good in the denials. Those times when we're praying and God just simply says no. When we're praying for something and God says, that's not what I would have for you. Learn that God is still good in the denials. But one thing all those seem to have in common is that those are things that happen to us. Those are the things that, uh, for the most part, we haven't caused in our life, right? Sometimes we have no control over the circumstances that enter into our life. Sure, sometimes we make a bad decision and bad circumstances come, but sometimes... We're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, but circumstances still happen. And many times, the, the doubts that we have, they're based upon the circumstances that are happening in our life, and for the most part, none of us are going to cause God to, to delay or, or even to say, no, God has his own timing. His timing isn't our timing. So all four of those things are things that we're not necessarily directly responsible for. But what about those times that what we're going through is directly our fault? Does that make sense? What about the times in life where we've just really messed up and we're looking around for someone to blame for it because that's kind of our go-to, right? When we mess up, we wanna blame somebody, but we're looking around and what we find is we're the one directly responsible for the mess that we're in. What about those times? During those times, during, those times of damage in our lives, is God still good? When we want to blame somebody and the only person we can really truly honestly blame is ourselves, can we honestly say in those times that God is still good? And that's what we're going to look at today in John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 21. If not, I'll be up here on the screens uh, for you as well. Um, But I would encourage you uh, just to write somewhere on your bulletin, just write, read John 21. Because I would encourage you, if if you skip over, most of us, we don't read our Bibles on a normal basis, right? We try to, but but many times we don't. I would encourage you, read John chapter 21. I believe it is one of the most key passages in all the Bible. Because we're gonna see something about Jesus in this passage that I think is just key for us to understand. But we're also gonna find, our, we're probably gonna find ourselves in this passage when it comes to us talking about Peter. We're gonna get a glimpse into the life of Peter here and what we're gonna see is he had really messed up. As a matter of fact, he messed up in a way that he swore he would never mess up in. Have you ever done that before? Where, God, I swear I'll never do this again. And then what happens? You end up doing what you just swore you would never do. This is where Peter's at. Peter's messed up in a way that he swore he would never do. See, after Jesus was arrested, before he was crucified, there became this period of of trials that were happening, okay? Trials that were happening to convict Jesus. And all the disciples fled after Jesus was arrested. But Peter, he followed from a distance. And Peter was watching these trials unfold from a distance, And as he's watching these trials unfold, someone notices him. and says, hey, weren't you one of those that were following Jesus? And he's like, no, that's not me. I don't know who you're talking about. See, it's interesting that Peter denied there because just a few chapters earlier, Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, I would never do that, God. I will fight for you. I will die for you. Jesus says, I know you feel that way, but there's gonna come a time where you're gonna deny me and you're gonna deny me three times. So someone says, weren't you one of his followers? He said, no, that wasn't me. Then the Bible says a little bit later on, he's warming his hands by some fire and someone else says, you look so familiar. Didn't you used to follow Jesus? He said, nope, that wasn't me. Then a third time, somebody asked him a third time, And then the third time, the Bible says that he just swore and he cursed and he said, I don't even know who this man is. This is Peter. Walked with Jesus for three years. Swore he would never deny him. Swore he would never mess up in that way. And then just like Jesus said three different times, he denied even knowing who Jesus was. And now we find Peter in John chapter 21 in a very, very familiar spot. Look at John 21, verses 1 through 3. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So just to catch us up, John chapter 21 is after the trials, it's after the crucifixion of Jesus. If that it's after the resurrection of Jesus. Between the resurrection of Jesus and John chapter 21. Jesus had appeared several times to the disciples, okay? Shown them saying, hey, guys, I've resurrected, okay? I am who I said I was. Everything is good. So that's where we pick up in John chapter 21. It says, he appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And it said, it happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which we know as James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's a key phrase in these few verses. The key phrase is when Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now for us, that doesn't seem like that'd be that big of a deal, right? Because if we're gonna go out to fish, what are we doing? We're grabbing a fishing pole in our tackle box, we're finding a body, body of water somewhere, and we're just going to fish for a few hours, right? But Peter wasn't a leisure fisherman. This was his trade. This was his job before he met Jesus. So for Peter to say, I'm going to go fish, this wasn't him saying, I'm going to go fish for a couple hours just to blow off some steam. This is Peter basically saying, I'm going back to my old way. I'm going back to what I did before I met Jesus because this following Jesus thing didn't really work out for me too well. And the interesting thing is, we find him in a very familiar place. See, in Luke chapter 5 is when Peter first met Jesus. And we know that he first met Jesus when he was on the Sea of Galilee fishing. He's fishing, the Bible says that he fished all night and he caught nothing. Then Jesus comes to him standing on the shore and says, Hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side? Peter's like, man, I don't even know who you are, but trust me, I'm the professional fisherman, and I fished all night long. There is no way we're going to catch anything. He says, but I'll do it anyway. The Bible says in Luke that he threw the net on the other side and that he caught in the fish. The catch was so great that it filled up two boats. At that point, he comes to the shore, and he's just face-to-face with Jesus, and Jesus says the very famous words follow me and I will make you fishers of men and at that point the Bible says that Peter left his nets and left his boat and followed after Jesus never in these three years do we see Peter returning back to his boat returning back to his net except in John chapter 21 and he's on the same sea that he fished when he first met Jesus Another interesting thing is that we see that Peter seems to be setting the tone for the group. What did Peter say? I'm going to go out to fish. And what did the other disciples say? Well, I guess we'll go with you. You can almost, almost sense the despair in their voices because when Jesus was walking on the earth with them and they were communicating with Jesus, they really thought that Jesus was coming as the Messiah to rule and to reign. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. And they were expecting to rule right alongside with Jesus. But that wasn't exactly the way that it worked out. That wasn't the intention that Jesus had. Jesus came. He was arrested. He was crucified. And now they're sitting and they just feel hopeless. The amazing thing was Peter's life drastically changed after the first time he met Jesus on that water. But now we find him in the same spot, same boat, probably hoping that in some way he's going to rekindle what he once had. Could you imagine Peter's thoughts right now? Just put yourself in Peter's shoes. You followed this man for three years, then he died in the midst of his trial in the midst of his crucifixion when you should have been there you denied him three different times the bible even says that after the third time Jesus turned and looked at Peter straight in the eye there was no hiding what Peter had done even though Jesus had resurrected and even though he had appeared to the disciples Peter is still broken broken He's broken because of the mess that he has found himself in. And this is a mess that is very much self-inflicted. A couple things that stick out to me. First one is this, no matter who we are, we can really mess things up. I wonder how many of us can identify with Peter in this story. We sit back, we look at our lives, and we realize that our lives may not be lining up with exactly what God wanted for us. We remember that time when we were on fire for God, maybe when we first got saved and we were just following Jesus and we were doing everything we could to be in church, everything we could to read our Bible, everything we could to pray, and we were just on fire for God, but now we find ourselves in a spot where we barely even have a spark. A couple things about being in a mess. Everyone is in a mess, each and every one of us. Look at Romans chapter three. Verses ten through twelve. It says that is is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have come together. They have come, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's really encouraging verses, aren't they? Kind of lifts us up. What do those verses say? In a nutshell, it says we're all in a mess. We're all separated from God because of our sin. Our sin separates us. We all find ourselves in a mess. We're born into this mess. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. We understand that, especially we understand the fact that we're sinners by nature. All you have to do is just watch children. We've never taught our children to lie. We've never never taught our children to hit. We've never taught our children to sin, but yet they just know how to do it, right? It's ingrained in them. If you have little, little ones, you're like, yes, all the time. My my children are horrible, rotten sinners, right? But we're also sinners by choice. We choose to sin. Yesterday, my wife and I got into an argument. I know it's hard to believe that we argue, but we do. We got into an argument. And I very easily could have killed the argument by saying the right thing and by doing the right thing. But what did I do? I knew exactly what I needed to say to escalate the situation. And there was a moment in my mind where right before I said it, I thought this would not be the wise thing to do. But what did I do? I escalated the fire out of that situation and it became a much bigger deal than what it should have been, right? I chose to do that. I knew what I was saying was wrong. I knew that I shouldn't do it. But in that moment, it gave me a little bit of satisfaction, right? So I did it. I escalated a situation that didn't need escalating. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. See, there's two different types of people. Some of you in here today have never been rescued from your sins. You've never come to a point where you've accepted Christ as your savior. And understand this, without Christ, there is no end to the mess that you're in. Without Jesus, there's no end to it. It's just like you're running on this hamster wheel and you can never seem to get ahead. That's one type of person in here. You you just desperately need Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ That's the only one who can forgive you of your sins. That's the whole reason Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross. Is because he wanted you to understand how much he loves you and how much he desires to forgive you of the mess that you're in. It's one type of person, you desperately need Jesus. You've never accepted him as your savior. Second type of person, you've been rescued. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. You've been rescued. You have a home in heaven. But as that believer, there's times where you find yourself just struggling in your walk with Jesus. You're just struggling. You look at your life and you think, man, I know this isn't what God would want me to do. I know this isn't the way God would want me to live. I know this is probably not the way That God envisioned my life to be. But you just find yourself in a mess. We learn we're all in a mess. Another thing about being in a mess is this: no mess is permanent. No mess is permanent. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation to seize you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This verse is speaking to believers. It's talking to believers. It's talking to that person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And this verse tells us there is no temptation that you will face that God will not provide a way out. There is no temptation that you'll face that God won't provide an exit strategy. Last night with my argument with my wife, at that moment, I thought... Before I, de-escalated the, before I escalated the situation, I had a way of escape. I had a way out. I had a way to resolve the issue, but I didn't take it. I didn't take it because I was prideful. I didn't take it because I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. I didn't take it because I didn't want to admit that I, I was the reason my wife was feeling the way she was feeling. So what did I choose to do? I chose to just embrace it and escalate the situation. Scripture says, as a believer, you're always provided with the way of escape from the temptation that you're facing. It's a promise we have as believers. Let's keep reading in chapter 21, verse 4. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, this is interesting, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus So we find the disciples fishing. Jesus is standing on the shore like he did earlier with Peter when he first called Peter. He's standing on the shore, and the Bible says the disciples didn't recognize it was Jesus. Look at verse 5. He called out to them, speaking to Jesus, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Still at this moment, it hasn't dawned on them that this is Jesus. It's the same conversation he had with Peter in Luke chapter 5 when he first called him to follow him. The same exact conversation. It says, throw it on the other side of the boat, you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, verse 7 is when this gets really good. It says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved is John. See, disciple john he said to peter it is the lord as soon as simon peter heard him say it is the lord he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water the other, other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore about a hundred yards so let's talk about what's happening in these verses they're fishing they're catching nothing jesus appears to him again says, throw your net on the other side. They say, okay. And they catch a huge sum of fish. And then John notices it's Jesus. And he says, Peter, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter just hops in the water and just swims for it. I love that. He didn't care about the boat. He didn't care about the fish that he just caught. All he knew he needed was Jesus. And he swims 100 yards to get to Jesus and this fits Peter's personality perfectly because Peter was constantly a man who reacted to situations okay Peter was not a thinker okay that was not Peter's strong suit okay Peter was one who just said the first thing that came to his mind Peter is one who acted Peter's philosophy was it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission okay that was Peter Peter was extremely impulsive. And what do we find Peter doing here? That characteristic of Peter is beautiful in this story because he doesn't think, he isn't worried about anything else. All he does is hops in the water and he swims to Jesus. Verse 9 says, When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead do you imagine this is probably a pretty quiet breakfast don't you think I mean think about it Peter denied Jesus three times he's now gone back to his old life and Jesus meets him there again he notices Jesus he swims to shore and when he gets there he sees that Jesus had breakfast ready Jesus doesn't condemn. He doesn't say, I told you so. He just simply had breakfast for him and said, let's eat. I'm sure Peter at this point is a shell of his former self. His confidence is gone. His boldness is gone. But here's Jesus ready to forgive him and ready to restore him. Brings up the second thing. Number two, in the midst of our mess, Jesus still shows up. Have you experienced the Savior? Have you experienced Jesus? Have you come to a point in your life where you realize that you have nowhere else to go but him? Have you experienced that forgiveness? Has he completely come and changed your life? If you can't answer yes to those questions, I can promise you this, Jesus is ready to to meet you today and he longs to forgive you of your mess see we have to understand this Jesus is all about forgiveness he died so he could forgive us there's nothing that we could do or say that would ever shock Jesus there's nothing we could do or say that Jesus would ever look and say oh you've gone too far this time there's no way I can forgive that there's nothing we could do But here's the problem. We see forgiveness from a very human perspective, okay? So when we think about forgiveness and we think about the fact that Jesus longs to forgive us, we view forgiveness from a very human perspective. In our eyes, forgiveness is limited. Why? Because we forgive in a limited capacity, don't we? Most of us forgive. We forgive those that we love. But we don't forgive everybody. Or we forgive people who haven't gone too far. Have you ever heard this statement or ever said this statement, that person's dead to me? Most of us probably thought that or said that at some point. What does that mean? That person no longer matters to me. I have no desire to have a relationship. I have no desire to offer forgiveness. That person is dead to me. That's how we view forgiveness. See, here's the thing. I'll forgive my wife all day long. Why? Because she's perfect. So there's really nothing to forgive. But I would forgive my wife all day long. But if I'm being honest, there have been people in my life that have really struggled to forgive. One of them has been my mom. I struggled to forgive my mom. It took me years. And when I mean years, I mean into my 20s. My mother died I was eight years old. I was probably 28 before I actually came to a point to where I could forgive her. Why? Because my forgiveness is limited. We forgive from a human perspective. So when we hear the fact that Jesus desires to forgive us, we look at it and it doesn't make sense to us because we see forgiveness from a very limited perspective. But Jesus forgives unlimited. His forgiveness is for anyone. And the moment you ask him to forgive you, he is there ready to forgive. But not only does he forgive us, and we are able to accept him as our Savior, we have a home in heaven, and we're able to have a relationship with him, there still comes a point where we stray in our walk. There still comes a point where we still end up messing up. And at those moments, he forgives us and he restores us. And that idea of restoration is a really neat thing. I know there's some of you in here that are into restoring like old things, okay? You like to take an old piece of furniture or you like to take an old vehicle and you like to restore it. What are you doing when you restore it? You're bringing it back, okay? You're bringing it back to what it should have been, okay? Time has done a number on it. Weather has done a number on it. It's got a lot of damage. It's got a lot of things that need to be worked out, but you take the time and you restore it and you bring it back to working condition you bring it back to its original beauty and that's exactly what Jesus longs to do for us he longs to restore us and at this moment in John chapter 21 that's what Peter is about to realize Peter's about to realize that Jesus is ready to forgive and to restore him that's what makes God so good is that he longs to restore us a broken people 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at verse 15 in John chapter 21. When they'd finished eating, breakfast is done. And we're going to get a very interesting look at a very private conversation between Peter and Jesus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Let's stop for a moment. Very interesting. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? And what is Peter's response? Yes, you know I love you. To really understand what is going on, we have to understand the word love. See the word "love" in the Greek has three different meanings. It can you use the word "eros," which is an erotic or sexual love. It has the word "phileo," which is a brotherly or like a friendship love. And then there's the word "agape," which is an unconditional love, a sacrificial love. So when Jesus asks Simon Peter, "It says, Simon, son of John, do you love me?" He's asking it with this mi- mindset do you agape love me? Peter, do you sacrificially love me? Do you unconditionally love me? Peter's response is very interesting because he responds and says, yes, you know that I love you, but he doesn't use the word agape here. He uses the word phileo. So Jesus asks, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me sacrificially? And Peter responds this way, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. It's a different meaning, isn't it? Jesus, you know I love you like a friend. So Jesus is asking him again in verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me sacrificially? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Yes, Lord, you know I love you like a friend. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then asked him a third time. Verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Here's the interesting thing. Jesus doesn't use the word agape here anymore. Jesus used the word phileo. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother? Some people would see this as like a negative. I view this and I see Jesus meeting Peter exactly where he's at. He says, do you love me like a brother? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It says to Jesus that Peter was hurt. Why do you think Peter was hurt? He asked him three times, do you love me? first two times he said do you agape love me do you unconditionally love me do you sacrificially love me and the third time he said okay peter i get you're not there yet so do you love me like a brother do you love me like a friend and peter said yes i love you like a friend you know that but it says he was hurt i think the three-time petition reminds peter of his three-time denial i think that's why peter was hurt Jesus asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. And for Peter, this was a reminder of what he had done. The question I have is what would you do in this situation? It's just you and God. Both of you know what you did. Neither one of you are necessarily proud of it. So what would you do? Would you make excuses for your sin? Would you make excuses for sin? For the things that you've done or would you like pete would you be like peter and stand in the presence of jesus and experience grace look at verse 19 excuse me verse 18. jesus said very truly i tell you when you were younger you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which peter would glorify god Then he said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, are you sorry for what you did? Jesus didn't say, I told you so. Jesus didn't look at him and say, promise me you'll never do that again, Peter. What did did Jesus say? Follow me. What is he saying to Peter in those two simple words? Peter, I love you. Peter, I forgive you. And Peter, I'm going to restore you. Peter, I'm going to bring you back to where you should have been. I'm going to do something amazing in your life still, Peter. Yes, Peter, I know you messed up, but I'm going to do something amazing in your life. Just trust me and follow me. If you read through the rest of Peter's life, you see that God did some amazing things in Peter's life. Matter of fact, it was Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost. The day that we see kind of the local church becoming established, it was Peter, the one who preached. And the Bible said that 5,000 men were saved. It's not even counting the women and children. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times, went back to his old life, is the same Peter who's now preaching at Pentecost and thousands of people come to know Jesus. Jesus. Peter's very influential in the beginning of the church. Jesus restored him. Brings me to my third point. The last one is this. When we allow Jesus into our mess, grace happens. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Peter didn't deserve forgiveness or restoration, but that's exactly what he got. That's grace. Have you experienced God's grace today? you experienced his grace? Have you experienced that forgiveness of sin? Some of you in here could say, yes, I've experienced that. But some of you in here, you can't say that. You can't say that you've experienced that forgiveness of sin, that grace. But I can promise you this, Jesus is here today and he wants to forgive you. And if you're a follower of Jesus who has strayed from the path, Jesus wants to restore you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus longs to forgive, but I think one of the problems is we find ourselves living in a constant state of guilt and shame. I'm talking about followers of Jesus here. You've experienced forgiveness. You know Jesus as your Savior, but you've strayed, and you've messed up, and you've asked ask him to forgive you and you believe that he forgives you, but the problem is you don't forgive yourself and you live in this constant state of guilt and shame. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus never designed you to live in guilt and shame. When Jesus forgave you, he didn't forgive you and said, now I want you to sit in it. I want you to feel bad for it. No, he says, I forgive you and I forgive you 100% don't hold on to it anymore don't live in that guilt and shame to kind of conclude this I want to go back to before John chapter 21 I want to look at the moment after the resurrection of Jesus this is before he appears to Peter before he appears to any of the disciples this is what happens in Mark chapter 16 Jesus resurrected people come to the tomb and they don't find Jesus, they find an angel and this is what transpires. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Beautiful. Ladies come looking at Jesus to anoint his body and they find an angel and the angel says, hey, don't freak out, but I know you're looking for Jesus but he's not here. He's risen. He's risen again. Now look at verse seven. It says, but go tell his disciples and who else? Peter. The angel says, go tell the disciples and then specifically names Peter. Why? Because Jesus knew Peter needed to know. Jesus knew that Peter needed to know that he was alive and he was gonna restore him. He was gonna do something amazing in Peter's life. Go tell his disciples and Peter. I have no doubt that Jesus is calling some of you by name today. Matter of fact, he's probably been calling you for a long time. And you've pushed it off, you've pushed it off. But he's calling you to grace. He's calling you to have your sins forgiven. We have to allow him. We have to allow him in. Jesus never forces himself on us. But he just knocks. And he waits for us to answer so he can forgive us and restore us. A couple next steps. Number one, allow Jesus into your mess. Number two, stop. Don't remain in your guilt and shame. Would you bow your heads with me?